us. And I believe that as a church, God wants us to be that, be a supernatural church. Unfortunately, we've got so used to the natural thing, the natural realm, that sometimes as a church we stay in the realm of the natural. But God has God Himself wants us to be a supernatural church. And so starting this Sunday, we want to begin to press into that realm. And I'm using the word season, but I really don't see us coming out of this. We get into it, but we don't see an end to the season. We want to move in and move higher and higher and deeper and deeper into the supernatural realm that God has for us. Amen. In case you're visiting and for the others, amen encourages the pastor. So a loud amen will help the message. Uh, so we really want to move into that realm. And you know, my heart's desire is to really, really see a supernatural church. A church where the power of God is in a manifestation, and where the manifestation of the power of God is normal. And where every believer is manifesting the power of God. Just imagine, you know, you walk, you're in your office, you go to the water fountain, you're going to collect some water, you press the button, pull, you know, whatever you need to do to get the water out or pull open the tab. And as you're collecting water, another lady comes by to collect water and uh, you begin, you tell her, you look at her and say, go call your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And you say, yes, you said the truth, you have no husband because you had five husbands and the man that you're living with is not your husband. She looks at you and says, I think you're a prophet. She, you say, no, 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 I'm a member from all people's church. And then she says, you know, okay, tell me, where should I worship? You know, should I go here or should I go there? You say, no, no, come to all people's church. You know? <laughs> Amen. Amen. That's the modern version of John chapter 4. But it really did happen. But Jesus was at the well, not a water fountain. But he touched that woman's life by the power of God. And in a moment, her life was changed. Amen. That's what we want to see happen through all of us. That we are walking in the, nat- in the supernatural. That, the super- that we naturally are supernatural. Where the gifts of God, the anointing of God flows through us in everyday life. Whether it's at home, in school, in college, in office, uh, in a workplace, on the sports field, in the mall, in the restaurant, wherever you are. The power of God is there and you're able to flow in it and touch lives. How easy evangelism becomes then. That if God just releases something through your word of knowledge or the gift of healing and you're able to minister to somebody, you don't need to have a whole lot of apologetics to convince them that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Amen. So we must press in to that realm. And a, a place where signs and wonders will accompany every believer every day of the week, everywhere. That's the kind of church we want to be. You know, what would a supernatural church look like? Let's look at some scriptures with me, please. In Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, what would a supernatural church look like? Acts 5, 12 through 16, it says here, And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's port. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Think about a church. Where the power of God is the norm. When you come on Sunday mornings, you don't come to hear a sermon. But you come to encounter the power of God. You're coming because God is going to do something awesome this morning. God is going to do something supernatural. That you come to church and you're expecting the sick to be healed. That people come in sick and they walk out whole. And, and not only believers coming that way, but even the unsaved world hears that God is in our midst. That God is walking among us and moving among us. And they bring the sick into uh, our, our services, expecting something to happen. That even the shadows of people walking by fall on them and they are healed. And the Bible says believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes. Evangelism becomes so easy. Amen. In Acts chapter 6 verses 11 and 12, or rather verses 7 and 8. Acts 6, 7 and 8, it says... And Stephen, full of faith and power, 
did great wonders and signs among the people. Acts 6, 7 and 8. The word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. That was verse 7. And then verse 8 says, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great signs and wonders among the people. Stephen was just an ordinary man. He was not an apostle. He was not a prophet. He was not one of those, you know, the, the, pastor, the ministers in the church. All his job was to serve food. All he did was serve food to the widows. He was a volunteer in the church. He was a helper in the church. And look what happened to him. It says signs and wonders were done through his life. Amen. And that's where we want to go. We want to see every believer in the church having the supernatural power of God flowing through their life. You know, you're driving by Kamath restaurant or McDonald's or whatever, and suddenly God says, you know, you see a sick person there, and, and the compassion of God stirs you up, and God says, go pray for him. You say, you know, hello, I, I, I know I don't know you, and you don't know me, but can I just pray for you? And you pray for that person, that person gets healed right there. He's going to ask you, what did you do? All you had to do is then open up and open your mouth and say, Jesus Christ did this. Will you believe in Him? Amen. Evangelism becomes so easy that we can bring in multitudes into the kingdom of God. And in the Old Testament, in the book of Haggai, chapter 2 and verse 9, when the, the prophet Haggai is speaking about the Old Testament temple, in Haggai 2 verse 9, he says, The glory of this latter temple will be greater than that of the former. Now the Old Testament is a type and a shadow of what God was intending to do in the new. And this is God's plan that the glory that is manifested in the latter house of God will be greater than that of the former. Now when you read the book of Acts, we see the glory in the early church. The power of God manifested in the early church. It was a powerful church, a supernatural church. Miracles and signs and healings and deliverances were commonplace. Amen. And the Bible says that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the early church. Than the former or the early church. God is distant for you and me as people living in the latter house to see greater glory. And somehow we've lost it along the way. Amen. We need to go back. We need to regain this glory of the latter house, of, of, of the supernatural power of God. You know, you probably heard the story of two farmers. Both were, you know, believing God for rain, believing God to give them a great harvest. But one of the farmers went out and began to plow his field and began to sow his seed. So which of the two farmers do you think really believed that God would send the rain? You speak a little louder, I think I could hear. <laughs> the farmer that went out to plow the fields, he's the one who really believed that God would send the rain. So I want to encourage us to be like that starting today. That as we seek God to pour out the rain of His power and His supernatural glory upon us as a church and as individuals, we need to start plowing the ground and sowing some seed. We need to start preparing for the supernatural. Amen. So that's the message I want to preach this morning, preparing for the supernatural. That we need to get ready in our expectation of seeing God move in a supernatural way in our lives. That we want to be a supernatural church where the power of God in manifestation is the norm, where every believer is manifesting the power of God and the glory of God, where signs, wonders, and miracles accompany every believer out in the world, wherever they go, every day, everywhere. We need to start preparing for the supernatural. And so this is that message here this morning. And then in the coming days, we'll kind of begin to press in more and more into the supernatural. And we will see God send the rain. Amen. Are you ready to go this journey? So how do we prepare for the supernatural? I want to share about five different things here. And from my experience in the first service this morning, I... Kind of spent the whole service on point number one. And then the last five minutes I did the, point, the remaining four points. And uh, it's probably going to happen the same way this morning uh, in, our, th in this service. But just bear with me. I think all, four, all five points are important. And I'll try to make these points with power. <laughs> the first thing that I think I, we need as a church to uh, prepare for the supernatural is to, come, is to come to a place of cleansing 
and consecration before God. In the book of Joshua, chapter 3 and verse 5, you know, the people of Israel have gone through the wilderness. They've gone through all, this, uh, all the journey they had to go through. They're there on the edge of the river Jordan. They're about to step into the promised land. And God speaks, instructs Joshua to, <coughs> sorry, to instruct the people and tell them this. In Joshua 3 and verse 5, Joshua tells the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow... The Lord will do wonders among you. Joshua 3 and verse 5. Sanctify yourselves. Cleanse yourselves. Why? Tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Amen. In anticipation of the supernatural move of God and God doing wonders and signs, Joshua instructs the people, he says, sanctify yourself, cleanse yourself. You know, the norm in Scripture we see is this, that when their God reveals His glory in a house that is clean and consecrated. Amen? In a house that is cleansed and consecrated, God releases His glory. Now, I know that there are exceptions. When God can come into a place where people are living in terrible sin and just total disobedience and yet manifest His glory. He can do that. But that's the exception. That's not the norm. Amen. So we, I want to invite us. Let us sanctify ourselves so that God can do wonders amongst us. Now we do not take credit, nor neither do we attribute the wonders and miracles that God does to our own power or holiness. We're not attributing that. We're not saying, oh, because I've cleansed myself and consecrated myself, God is doing it through my life. No, 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 no. We don't want to take any credit to ourselves, but in order to be channels of God's power, in order to see the glory of God released, we do our part of plowing the field and sowing the seed, of cleansing ourselves and consecrating ourselves before God so that God can do wonders in our midst. And amen would be nice. Thank you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. Kind of brings this out to us. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. He says, you know, in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, also wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So if you and I want to be vessels for the master, Paul is telling us what we need to do. He says, If anyone cleanses himself from whatever is dishonorable, whatever is impure, so the responsibility is upon me. To cleanse myself. God is not going to do it for me. Amen. If anyone cleanses himself from what is impure. Then he will be a vessel for honor. The set apart for the master's use. And ready for every good work. Ready to release the power of God. Amen. I want to repeat again. We are not saying that God's power uh, is measured by our holiness. No. What we are saying is we just want to be ready for God to work through us. God is powerful whether we change or whether we don't. He's always powerful. He's always supernatural. He's all, he can always heal every sick person. He can always do that. But we want to become channels. We want to see the glory of God manifested in this house. So we need to do our part. Amen? In Isaiah 52 verses 10 and 11. Isaiah 52, 10 and 11. It says, the Lord has made bare His holy arm. In the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So God has made bare His holy arm. I mean, God's getting ready to do some wonders here. I mean, He's rolled up His sleeves. Now we sing that song, God is an awesome God, but He rolled up His sleeves, He wants putting on the wrist, or God is an awesome. So He's saying that here. And He's rolled up His sleeves. 
He's getting ready to do some wonderful things. If you're going to, the, na- the nations are going to see the salvation of God. So God's ready to do wonders. What should be our response? Verse 12, verse 11 rather. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. So he's saying God's getting ready to do something wonderful. He's rolled up his sleeves. He's getting ready to release the supernatural power. Our response, let's be clean. Who bear the vessels of the Lord. Amen. Preparing for the supernatural. So I want to invite us as a church. You know, I appreciate each one of us that we definitely are trying, are working, are doing our part, are believing God and trusting Him to bring us to new levels of holiness and consecration before God and, and, and just, you know, moving on uh, to new levels and getting rid of, of things and every weight and sin that easily uh, besets us. And I, I, I recognize that. I appreciate that. But I want to invite us this morning. Let's take it another level. Amen. I do not think there's any sincere believer here who doesn't value living a holy life before God. I know that all of us really love God and we really want to be holy before God and we want to live lives that are clean and consecrated and we want to be vessels of honor. But I want to say, you know, we want to press in to see the supernatural power of God. Let's do our part. Let's go up. Let's take this up to a new level. If you'll go with me to 2 Corinthians 6 verses 14... 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, and then chapter 7, verse 1. You know, this passage of Scripture is usually quoted to somebody who's getting ready for marriage. You know, somebody comes premarital counseling. Okay, turn to 2 Corinthians 6, chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord is Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has a temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. We usually use this passage of scripture in counseling somebody who's getting ready to get married. Say, okay, is that guy, that girl, is she a believer? Is he a believer? Why? Because 2 Corinthians 6 says, do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. And we stop there. But really, that's not the context of this verse. The context of this verse is not marriage. So next time somebody brings this up to you, point your finger at them and tell them it's not talking about marriage. Amen. But what the context is really about is about Christian living. It's about all of life. Because marriage is a part of it, you can apply to it to marriage. But the context is 2 Corinthians 6. He just starts talking about ministry. He says, you know, we give no offense to anybody in the ministry. And this is our life. We, we, are, we surround ourselves with the armor of righteousness and so on and so forth. And then he just continues talking about Christian life. And in Christian living, he says, don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. So really, the understanding there is this. To be yoked together with an unbeliever simply means don't go the same way. Don't pattern yourself as an unbeliever. Don't live as an unbeliever lives. Amen? It's not just talking about marriage. It's talking about everything in life. As believers, we are not to be yoked together with unbelievers, meaning don't go the same way. Don't pattern yourselves after the unbeliever, he says. But what I want to bring to our attention is what God is saying in verse 18. He says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. You know, we love the fatherhood of God. We love love the fact that God is our father, and we are his sons and daughters. And many times this is misrepresented to us because we say, hey, God is your father. Hey, you know, he just loves you with an unconditional love. Do whatever you want, live however you want, but he's your father, he loves you. But let me bring this to your attention that when God says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, he's put it in the middle of a verse where he says, come out and be separate 
Don't touch the unclean thing, and I will be a father to you. Amen. So let me say it scripturally, the fatherhood of God is experienced in a place of us separating ourselves from what is unclean. In a place of cleansing and consecration. The fatherhood of God is not a license for us to sin because of His unconditional love. The fatherhood of God is, an, is, a, is a motivator for us to separate ourselves and be clean as sons and daughters of God. So that we can experience Him, him as He really is. But a misrepresentation of the fatherhood of God says His unconditional love, do what you want. That's misrepresenting God. Because God said, come out from among them. Be clean. And I will receive you. And then I'm going to be a father to you. I'll be your son and you'll be my sons and daughters. Let's put the fatherhood of God in the right perspective. Yes, His love is unconditional. Yes, there is mercy. Yes, there is grace. But do you know that fathers also discipline their kids? Amen. And then he says in verse 1 of chapter 7, Therefore, having these promises, what promise? God has promised, I'll be a father to you. You'll be my son and daughter. God has promised. Having these promises, what should we do? He says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The Father of God motivates me to holiness. Amen. Because I want to be his son, his daughter. I, I, I cleanse myself from whatever is unclean. And perfect holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness meaning I'm moving on to new levels of holiness before God. New levels of cleansing and consecration before God. If you still love me, say amen. amen. Thank you. <laughs> it's not easy to preach this kind of message now and, you know. But let, let's take this to a new level here. If you don't mind, First Corinthians chapter six and verse twelve. You know, we are preparing ourselves for the supernatural that God can move in us and through us in a supernatural way. And so, the first thing that we need to do is bring ourselves to a place of cleansing and consecration. We know that God has told us to cleanse ourselves from whatever is not honorable before Him. But I want us to take this to a new level. In 1 Corinthians 6.12, Paul writes this. He says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. All things are lawful, but they are not helpful. They are lawful, but I will not be brought under its control. He repeats this in chapter 10 and and uh, uh, verse 23 says the same thing. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I'm not going to be brought under the power of anything. So here's a new level that I want you to invite you and me to move to in our consecration to God. There are many things that are okay in life. They're okay. They're not per se sin. God is not going to throw you into hell for watching television. There are many things that are okay. But our standard of consecration to God will ask, make us to ask two questions. Is it helpful? Will it control me? Amen. And when you start asking those questions, you will begin to move to a new level of consecration before God. And say, God, I know it's okay, but I'm not just looking for what's okay and what's not okay. I'm looking for what's really helpful and what is going to control me. If there's anything that's not helpful to me and anything that will end up controlling me, I'm going to be watchful of that. I will separate myself from that. Amen? It's a new level that we need to move to. I could move on to the next point, but then if I don't address, put my finger on specific things here this morning, uh, our, message, our general message on holiness may not... Our consecration may not have its impact. So just tell a neighbor, he's going to step on a few toes. Okay. So let me put my finger on a few things here. You know, many of us in our postmodern church 
think drinking alcohol is perfectly fine. Tell a neighbor he's talking to you. <laughs> you know, we think, man, it's okay. After all, bishop so-and-so does it. And archbishop so-and-so does it. So for me to do it is okay. Drinking alcohol, maybe some wine, some other alcoholic beverages is okay. But what does the Bible say? Proverbs 20 and verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So wine and strong drink has the potential to lead you astray. So, but you know, Paul told Timothy, please drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Yeah. So I drink only little wine for my stomach's sake. <laughs> Wonderful. In those days, they didn't have things like emodium, so he said, drink a little wine. Today, if you've got a stomach problem, please go and get some medicines. Amen. You don't need a little wine nowadays. So understand why he did what he did. It may be lawful, so just a little wine. I don't get, I don't, you know, I'm just perfectly fine. I just go to church and visit the bar, drink a little wine for my stomach's sake and go home. Just pop, I don't get drunk. I know you don't get drunk. But do you know the guy who just took one puff didn't know that he'll one day end up doing 20 packets a day? Do you know the guy who, who drank his first sip didn't know that one day he would end up on the roadside drunk? He didn't know that. He wasn't intending to get there. But all began with that one puff and that one little wine for his, for his stomach's sake. It all began with that. So we need to redefine our level of consecration, our standards of holiness. And let's say this, God, it may be lawful, but it's not helpful. It may be lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Therefore, God, I will not even take that little wine. Not because I'm afraid to go to hell or because others are doing it so it's okay for me. My standard is, I will not be brought under the power of any. And if you want something more, if you look at Leviticus, the 10th chapter, verses 8 to 10. This is the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you and I are the priests of the Most High God. The Old Testament is a type and a shadow of the reality of what you and I are walking in. You and I are the priests of the Most High God in the New Testament. Now here is God's instruction to the priests in the Levitical priesthood. Leviticus 18, 10 verses 8 to 10. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, who was the first high priest, saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. No option for compliance. Either do it or you don't do it. Death is at stake. Your life is at stake. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Verse 10. That you may distinguish between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean. So I want you to see, you know, I'm not worried about whether he's good priest is going to die or not. That's not the point. The point is God's instruction to the Levitical priesthood, to the priesthood saying, this is my instruction to you. Don't drink wine or anything intoxicating for you and your sons, meaning it's for this entire priesthood, generations to come. Why? Because I want you to distinguish between holy and unholy, between clean and unclean. Implying here that strong drink, intoxicating drink, comes in the category of unholy and unclean. Full stop. Amen. No arguments about whether, oh, that's the Old Testament between Malachi and uh, Matthew. God had a moral standard shift. Suddenly God changed in His moral standards. Please. God said, I am God, I do not change. If that's what He expected of the Levitical priesthood, how much more of the priesthood of Jesus Christ, of which you, of which you and I are part of? Amen. Say, so, Pastor, what does this have to do with the power of God? 
I believe that when we move to a new level of holiness and consecration, we can see more of God's manifested power in our lives. Amen. And sometimes it's these little things that hold us back from moving on with God. Tell a neighbor the next door. I want to address a little bit here about how we relate to one another. About us relating to one another with holiness and consecration. If you go with me to two scripture passages, Titus chapter 2 verses 1 to 8, I encourage you to read it so that you know I'm speaking to you from the word of God. Titus chapter 2 verses 1 to 8, verse 1 onwards. But as for you, speak things which are proper for sound doctrine. That means Paul, these are the pastoral epistles. First and second Timothy and Titus. Paul is instructing these men how to pastor the congregations and the churches they're overseeing. So he's telling Titus, Titus, I want you to speak things that are sound doctrine. So what I'm about to speak to you is sound doctrine. I'm going to read what Paul wrote. He says, verse 2, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith. In love, in patience. So this is a standard for older people. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior. Reverent in behavior. Reverent in behavior. Our behavior should manifest. Let me hear you. Our behavior should manifest. Not looseness. Reverence. Reverent in behavior. Not slanderous, not given to too much wine. Understand they had little wine for the stomach's sake. So don't use this scripture to go to the bar. Teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So he's giving these instructions. You know, the older men must behave like this, and the older women like this, and the younger women like this, and the younger men like this, and so on and so forth. Their motivation is this, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Meaning, my behavior should demonstrate reverence, and my behavior must not cause the word of God to come under reproach. Amen? 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Again, Paul writes again a pastoral epistle to the church, to the pastor of a church. He says, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. Meaning, Timothy, I want you to treat other women. Our older men, women, you treat them as mothers. Younger women, I want you to treat them as sisters with all purity. Amen. Here's a standard for conduct in the house of God. Now, I'm going to say something here which, is, which might be a little touchy. But I need to say it. Amen. If you want to close your ears, just close your ears and just ask your neighbor to tell you later. It's okay. But here's the thing, you know. We are all people's church, meaning we want all people to feel at home here. And if you look at our city, our city has the KFC McDonald's crowd. Our city has the t-shirt and jeans crowd. Our city has the Salwar Kameez crowd. And our city has the Dothi and Lungi crowd. Do you understand what I'm saying? Amen? We are all people's church. That means that somebody wearing salwar kameez and dhoti and lungi should be able to come in and say, you know, I can experience God here. Yeah. But what has happened in the past is that there have been people who have semi-urban or rural, they've come, just moved from a small town to, you know, to ba Bangalore City. They have a wonderful job. They're probably sitting next to you working at Infosys or TCS or Wipro. But the only thing is they've come from a semi-urban setting and moved to the urban setting. 
And you know, as a church, we have given so much liberty to our people. You know, aren't you happy that the women are not on the right and the men on the left? Aren't you glad that when you come to church, you can wear any color you want, not just white? There's nothing wrong with white, but I'm just saying, you're not making a rule. Aren't you glad that, you know, that you don't have to leave your slippers out there to come here? We have so much liberty in the house of God. Aren't you glad that, you know, when you come here, if we can sing some wonderful contemporary songs, we don't have any restrictions on that. So as a church, in as much as we have extended liberty to everyone, some areas, you know, I think we've crossed the line. To the point where when a semi-urban person comes into this place, he no longer feels comfortable. So we, no, we are no longer the all-people's church. We are the KFC church. We are the McDonald's church. We are the jeans and t-shirt church. What am I trying to get to? We have to be careful in our behavior that our behavior manifests reverence and our behavior should not cause the word of God to come into reproach. The way I relate to women must be manifesting a reverence. I treat them as mothers or I treat them as sisters and I treat them in all purity. Amen. I'm the pastor of the church, but there's only one woman in this whole congregation that I hug. I could say I'm the pastor of the church, I'm a father figure, I can hug every girl I want, but I don't do it. How much more should you follow my example? I'm talking to the men in this house. I'm the pastor of this church. If I want, okay, I, I'm, I'm a father to all these young ladies. I'm a pastor. Oh, I want to show them fatherly love. Let me hug them. I don't do it. There's only one lady in this house that I hug. For all the others, I handshake and it lasts for 10 seconds. Because sometimes handshakes can become something else. I show love with a smile. I show love with a 10-second handshake, maybe. But I treat women as mothers or sisters in all purity. Why can't the other men in this house do the same thing? Amen. In the name of being free and liberated, many of us young people, you know, we go hugging around, hugging each other. Now, I know in the, if you're in an American church, nobody's going to say anything. But you're in Bangalore, India. You're in a city where there are urban, semi-urban, and rural people. And to for the record, there have been people who have come to our people's church. And they've got turned off by the behavior, our behavior. When they see guys and girls hugging each other, they're saying, this is not church. And they have been deprived of hearing the message of the word of God because they've been put off by our behavior. They've never come back. They said, this is a disco, not a church. Amen. Say, Pastor, what does this have to do with supernatural levels of consecration? Holiness. Amen. Say, but Pastor, what's wrong if I pat a girl on the back? There's nothing wrong. The problem is, how do you define a pat, a rub, and a massage? Pastor, what's wrong if I just, you know, just give an A hug to the girl? Well, there's not, maybe nothing wrong, but how do you separate A hug, B hug, C hug, and D hug? Tell me. And we pastors cannot be policing people saying, you're A hug, okay, you gave a pat, okay, that was a rub, repent, that was a massage, repent. I mean, we can't go around the church doing that. Can we? So all I can say is, men, if you dare, follow my example. If you are a man, follow my example. Smile at a girl. Give a 10-second handshake. I have only hugs for my wife. 
I don't do a type A hug or a type B hug. I don't give a pat or a rub or a massage. Nothing for anybody else. If you're a man, follow my example. Treat women with purity. Amen. And ladies, you need to know how to hold yourself together. Maybe there are some ladies, men, they're just waiting for the open arms of any guy. Sorry for being so crude, but hey, you need to change. You run to the arms of Jesus or your husband or your father. That's okay. For all other men, give a smile or a 10-second handshake. Why? Not because I'm saying you go to hell because you do any of these things. But the Word of God says our behavior must manifest reverence. The Word of God says our behavior must not bring the Word of God to reproach. All things are lawful, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the control of anything. Amen. Just tell your neighbor, ouch. So I want to call us as a church to new levels of consecration and holiness before God. Church, it's a choice. I can't force it on you. I can't beat it on your head. I, I can't stand there and police every person and say, this is right, that's wrong, show me a breath. Yeah, that's level two, point two, point four. I can't do those kinds of things, and I'm not going to do it. All I can do is say, let's rise to a new level. Amen. It's not about whether it's lawful or unlawful. It's about what's helpful, what glorifies God, what will truly make us all people's church, not KFC church. What will truly allow a semi-urban person, he just moved from, you know, Tumkur or whatever, small little town and come to Bangalore. And he comes to a church like this and he says, these people love God and they know how to hold themselves. They may be wearing t-shirt and jeans, but they don't, they're not a disco. And I can feel at home and I can receive the word of God. That we will stop turning people away from our church just because of our behavior. A new level of consecration. And I also want to raise the standard for all our ministers. You know, I want to ask you this question. If I was a pastor, if Monday through Saturday, I just lived the way I wanted to. I just, you know, I didn't read my Bible. I didn't pray. I was just wandering around town doing whatever I want. And Sunday morning I came and I gave you a wonderful message. Do you think you'd come back? Let's take a vote. If I didn't have a proper life Monday to Saturday, but I give you a good message on Sunday, how many of you say, I will not come back? I will not come back. Come on guys, be bold. I'm not, I'm not going to hold you. Because for you, the Sunday morning performance is not as, is, 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 is okay, but what you are seeing is the life of the man Monday to Saturday. Does he have a testimony? Unless you're spiritually dull, sorry for saying that, but I just have to be honest, you wouldn't go back. Because it's not the Sunday morning oratorical skills of the man that you want. You want somebody who knows God and who can take you in to know God. That's why you come to church. And so I make it a priority to walk consecrated before God. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I make it a priority that I must seek God. I must live holy. I must live clean. I must read my Bible. I must pray. I must press into God. So that Sunday morning, the two hours I spend with people will be worth it. What I want to do is this. Extend the same standard to the rest of us who are involved in spiritual ministry in the church. The worship team. How can you expect somebody who doesn't worship God Monday to Saturday in private come and lead in public and lead a congregation to worship God? I wonder if I would... I'm not putting our worship team down. I love each one of them. I'll give them a big hug after service. They're all men. Uh, except, other, except the ladies. <laughs> I love the worship team. I love the people. But listen, members of the worship team... If you do not worship God in private, if you do not spend half an hour a day or sometime during the week singing these songs that you sing on Sunday morning in your private 
to worship God, if you do not have a personal life of worship to God, how can you stand here on Sunday morning and say, I'm going to lead a congregation in to worship God? Tell me how that would work. You say, but I play the guitar well, I can sing well. Well, there are lots of people outside in Bangalore City who play the guitar better than you and sing better than you. So the prerequisite to be up on stage and part of the worship theme is not your talent, but the fact that Monday to Saturday you are worshiping God, you are experiencing God through your personal worship, so that on Sunday morning on the stage you say, Congregation, I have experienced something in my personal life. I want you to join me in that. Let's go worship God. I tell you, our worship service will move from performance to the presence of God. So I want to speak to the members of the worship team. If you do not have a life of personal worship, please excuse yourself from the worship team. You do it. Because I don't know what's going on Monday through Saturday. I don't know if you're spending half an hour in your home worshiping God in private. I don't know. So the only thing I can ask you, members of the worship team, if you're not worshiping God Monday through Saturday in your home, if you're not reading the Word of God, if you are not praying, if you're not having a life of personal worship, you have, please don't come up here on Sunday morning to play your instrument or sing a song. We don't need that. Say, Pastor, why didn't you tell me all this while? I was hoping you would change. I was hoping you'd get the message. And today... We're moving up to a new level of consecration before God. We're going to stop playing church because we're serious. We really want the power of God in our lives. Amen. It's not about playing church Sunday morning for two hours. It's about us being serious about God. It's not about what's lawful. It's about what really draws me closer to God. Amen. Four minutes for the remaining four points. How do we prepare ourselves for the supernatural? Number two, intense hunger for God. We must intensify, come to a new level of hunger for God. Saying, God, I am hungry. I long to see your power and glory. Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2. Number three, how do we prepare ourselves for the supernatural? Intensify our prayer. We need to come to new levels of prayer before God. In Hosea chapter 6, verses 1, 2, and 3, the Bible says, Let us come, let us follow on to know the Lord. If we will pursue God, He will come to us as the rain. Hosea 6 and verse 3. If we will press in to pursue Him, He will come to us as the rain. Amen. Let's press in to God. Intensify our prayer. What I want us to do as a church, and I've never, I've never really um, uh, done this much from the pulpit, but this week, I want each one of us to take one day to fast and pray. Any day of the week, it's convenient to you. Again, there's no compulsion here, but I'm just inviting us to do this. One, take one day a week this week, to fast and pray and say, God, please make us a supernatural church. Father, make us a church where the power of God will be in manifestation. It will be normal to see the power of God in our services. But every believer will manifest the power of glory of God through supernatural signs and wonders out in the world, wherever they are, in school, colleges, homes, workplace, everywhere. I want to invite each one of us to participate. Take one day a week, fast your breakfast, your lunch. Spend an extra time in prayer. Uh, just praying for God and saying, God, make us a supernatural church. We want to see signs and wonders. We want to see miracles. We want to see the glory of God. We want to see the sick being healed. And we want to see the power of God in such great manifestation that people, instead of coming to Malia Hospital, will come here and say, God is in this house. We're not against doctors, but hey, if you can be healed with the power of God, why not? I want to encourage our cell groups to participate. Starting from Monday, I'd like one cell group, at least one cell group, to fast and pray each day of the week. 
So Monday we have some cell groups. On Tuesday, other cell groups. Uh, Thursday. So members of these cell groups fast and pray. Saying, God, make us a supernatural church. Amen. And cell group leaders, I request you to help us do this. If you can coordinate it with your cell group, just email me or text me and say, you know, my cell group is going to fast on every Monday or every Tuesday or every Wednesday or whatever day of the week. And we're going to pray and believe that God will make, make us a supernatural church. Where signs and wonders will be manifested through every believer in the church. We're going to express into God. We're going to intensify. We're going to get into new levels of prayer before God. Last two things, true worship. Now, worship creates a, a supernatural hotspot. A hotspot is a place where you get connection. Amen. So you, our church will become a supernatural hotspot when we have true worship going before God. Second Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1 uh, and verse 11 to 14 is a great example. When the temple, Solomon had finished building his temple, the Bible says that priests had consecrated themselves. They sanctified themselves. And they came on that appointed day and they took out all their instruments and they began to worship God. And as they worshiped God, the Bible says the glory of God filled the temple. Can it not happen in our day when we offer up true worship to God, having consecrated or sanctified ourselves like they did, and we offer up worship to God, the glory of God moves into the house. You won't need anybody to lay hands on you. You won't need anybody to pray for you. You'll be healed right where you are. Problems will be dissolved. Things will happen right where you are because the glory of God has been released in this place. But what caused it? True worship. The priests had sanctified themselves and they worshipped God. And last, lastly, we need to come to a new level of faith and expectancy. Jesus always did miracles in response to the faith of people. And this is my responsibility to help bring us to a level of faith to believe God for the supernatural. To the ministry of the word and to encouraging us that we must build up our faith. So we can come to a new levels of faith where the supernatural power of God will be released. Smith Wigglesworth said this. He said, God will pass over a thousand people to touch one person who has faith in Him. Amen. When a whole congregation is moving in a new level of faith and expectancy for the supernatural power of God, I believe God's power will be manifested so wonderfully in our midst. Amen. This morning is an invitation for all of us. There is no compulsion, just an invitation. We want to prepare ourselves to be a supernatural church. But we need to plow our fields so that God can send the rain. Amen. And all of us must participate. Or I invite all of us to participate. Let's rise up to our feet.